Before we dive into this week's episode, let's talk about Wolf and Shepherd. Wolf and Shepherd is redefining dress shoes with sneaker-like comfort. It's a classic dress shoe placed on an agile, athletic foam sole, so you get style with innovative comfort at the same time. Dress them up or dress them down for a more casual look. Gronk wears them, Steve Nash wears them, and you can too. Shop now at wolfandshepherd.com. That is Wolf and Shepherd, spelled W-O-L-F-A-N-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D.com. One last time, wolfandshepherd.com. And now, let's get to this week's episode of the podcast. He didn't see the thing falling. You don't really know how a gangster gone ball. You don't really know if I run or stand tall. You don't really know till they're coming. No, till they're coming. We go. All right, what is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of In the Paint, coming to you Wednesday morning, morning of the finals, game three. That will be later tonight, I believe, 9 p.m. on ABC, so definitely gear up for that. Um, First, before we get into anything, please rate, review, subscribe, download the podcast. You can find it on any podcast streaming platforms, your Apple, your Spotify, your your Google podcast, all that good stuff. You can find it anywhere. Um, just search for, for in the paint, you'll find it. Um, got the housekeeping out of the way. Let's dive into, um, what we're going to talk about today. going to briefly, not briefly, going to recap game two, talk about everything that happened. Um, preview game three, like I said, that is tonight. Talk about some adjustments that I think will be made or some things that each team can do. Um, and then we'll do, um, best bets, Props, stuff for Game 3, things that I'll be on. Um, And then we're going to talk some storylines. We've got, obviously, I haven't really covered it in the past couple because I've been focused on the finals, but we'll talk about the Lakers coaching decision. Um, We'll talk about, you know, some stuff that's come up. You know, you saw um, just some maybe trade possibilities, some stuff with Russ, some stuff with Kyrie. Um, We'll talk about Duncan Robinson, who just dropped a new podcast um, yesterday, or a new episode on his podcast, and talks about... um, or maybe it dropped this morning, but talked about just kind of the the struggles of him not playing um, in the finals or in sorry in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference Finals and kind of just throughout um, the semis as well. And so we'll talk about what his future looks like just based on some of the stuff he was talking about in the podcast. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about what's been going on with the shortened season. Um, there was a lot of rumors going around, some headlines, some storylines, some some stuff that CJ McCollum, who is now the president of the Players Association, what he's been talking about. Basically, get into some big storylines um, as we approach, you know, Game Three tonight. Um, but we'll obviously first focus on that. So let's dive right into that. Let's quickly recap Game Two. I keep saying quickly. I don't want to quickly do it. I'll recap Game Two and then give some thoughts around Game Two, which will be more thought out a little bit long-winded. Um, so quick recap of game two, Golden State goes in to Boston, or sorry, uh, Boston comes into Golden State, game two, um, and Golden State wins by 19. Pretty simple win, pretty easy win. Um, second half very much blew it open. But let's kind of walk through that. We'll talk through what basically happened. So first half, um, you know, let's let's kind of back up to games one and games one and two. So in games one and two, or sorry, in game one. So in game one, um, basically Boston was the best team in one quarter by far, um, which was the fourth quarter. Golden State was by far the best team in the third quarter. And then the teams were very even 
first and second, you can kind of let's if this was a boxing or a UFC card, you could split those. Say those were even. You could say they were even. You could split them each with one, but basically even. And then each team had a clear advantage in one of the quarters. Golden State third, Boston the fourth, and that led to Boston winning by you know fourteen or sixteen, whatever it was in game one. Game two. Same thing here, except for, you know, obviously the fourth quarter was was blowout time. So you could say that Golden State clearly was the better team in the fourth, but it was more just the third quarter. So I don't know what it is about the third quarter with Boston. Actually, I know what it is. I've talked about it on this podcast before, that Boston struggles in the quarters that matter most, in the times that matter most in those quarters. So in an NBA game, we're seeing now more than ever that the most important parts of the quarters – or of the game, are certain moments in quarters, which is like last five minutes of the second, right before halftime, the whole third quarter, and then you could argue the start of the fourth, but depending on how you did in the third quarter, it may it may be that, or the end of the fourth, the last five minutes. Like, that's money time. And the way that the NBA has, has worked recently is like you can be down 15 going into the fourth, but if you start the fourth quarter really well and you have an 8-0 run or a 10-0 run and cut it to five and tread water, then those last five minutes of the fourth quarter are super important. Now, Golden State, what they have always done historically since this dynasty was built basically back in 2014-2015 was they blow out teams in the third quarter and they basically just hold serve in the fourth. And what Boston has been really bad at this year, but also just this playoff run, is the third quarter they've been terrible. The end of second quarter, right before the end, the halftime, they've been bad. And then end of fourth, they've really just kind of like had to hold on if they've had leads. So in the money moments of quarters, they're really bad. What does that say? Well, that's because they have a rookie head coach who is a rookie head coach. He's a very good coach, but where do you where do you establish yourself as being a really, really good coach and elite? Having your team most prepared in those money moment quarters. What does Steve Kerr do? He shines best in the third quarter with this team, which means that after halftime he makes a ton of adjustments, or if something's already working, he continues to do it and refines it. Or right before half, he calls a timeout with like, you know, four minutes left. He has a great kind of adjustment for those four minutes. Then third quarter comes and then end of fourth. That is the difference between Steve Kerr being an elite head coach and Ime Yudoka being a rookie head coach who's good. So why is the third quarter so tough? Because I don't know if Ime Yudoka is making the necessary adjustments and knows what adjustments to make at halftime to be able to then win that third quarter. Because if we know anything, what we've seen from Boston is when they win the third quarter, they can tread water. If they're up by enough, if they just tread water enough in the fourth, they've got a couple guys that can make some shots, big-time moments like Tatum. Against Giannis, he made so many big shots to, to stop a run that Milwaukee was on, and then they ended up just coasting towards the end. But against Golden State, in both third quarters after halftime, they've been blown out both times. Now, luckily, in the fourth of Game 1, Golden State was so atrocious, and Boston figured out some stuff, and they won Game 1 and completely went on a massive run, won by 24 point, uh, won the fourth quarter by 24 points. But in Game 2, they got blown out in the third quarter, and then they couldn't figure out anything in the fourth because the lead was too big, and so they just kind of went to the garbage time and threw the backups in. So... Looking ahead to Game 3, and I'm going to continue to talk about Game 2. I'm just talking about in terms of that that part. At home, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that may not be as big of an advantage for Boston as people would think. At home, what they've got to do is be better in these money moments and quarters. It's very simple. Win the last five minutes of the second. 
Don't get your ass kicked in the third. Just stay afloat and then win the last five minutes of the fourth. If you follow that, Golden State has not shown that they're able to be elite and outside of the money quarter. So if you just are really, really, if you continue to Boston, the, the formula for Boston is just be really good, you know, for most of the game, and then just be adequate in those money moments in those quarters, they should win the games. They should win the series. But for too often and too many times in this playoffs, Boston just acts like they don't know how to execute in major moments, and it's killed them, and it honestly could have killed them in game one. Luckily, Golden State did the horrible thing, did the Boston in the fourth quarter and went completely cold and couldn't figure out shit, and that's why they lost game one. Golden State did. But Golden State has continued to be the better team when execution is needed to be highest. And that was always my worry with Boston was, yes, I know Boston is overall the more talented team and should win this series. But the thing about NBA games is it's all about moments and it's all about runs and stretches. And the money stretches that Golden State is good at are the ones that are most important. And so Boston, I know they won by like 14 or 16 in game one, but they're lucky to, to have a split. Now, let's take a macro view. If you're a Boston fan and you say you go into you go into um, Chase Center into Golden State into the Bay and you split in an NBA Finals and you get your split, you would think that's exactly what you go out to do is at on the road get a split because now you have home court advantage. Here's the thing though, let's talk about home court advantage for Boston. Home court advantage for Boston is non-existent this year in the playoffs. They're five and four at home in the playoffs. So they barely have a winning record. So the home field or the home field, home court advantage for Boston isn't as much as you would think. And I wonder if it's because some of these guys, like your Jalen Browns, like your Derek Whites, your younger role players, are having trouble because of all the pressure that's on them at home. Same thing I would think about Clay at Golden State. Um, I was listening to Oh, it was Mikel Bridges. He was talking about when they were playing Dallas on J.J. Reddick's podcast, Old Man in the Three. And he was talking about when you are playing bad at home and you're a role player, like superstars are always going to get the benefit of the doubt regardless. Like even if they're playing bad, they're superstars. No one's going to boo them. You're not going to feel – it's not going to be palpable enough for superstars to feel the crowd. With role players, when you're at home and let's say you have a 4 for 13 night, the crowd, you can hear it. They'll be like, ah, ah. And they may, there may be some boo birds out there. And so that same kind of thing can, can be good for role players when they go on the road because you can deal with boos from the road because you, you can kind of expect that and accept that that's going to happen. But when you start to feel it in your home court, that's not the greatest feeling. And so I think for Clay, I'm going to transition this to Clay Thompson because he's going to be a thing we're going to talk about. Clay Thompson has been very bad. And, and honestly, very bad for most of their playoff run this year. He's been good in moments where, you know, he has the, game, the both the closeout clay games, which they were incredible. But outside of that, he's been very, very bad. <laughs> um, let's talk, I mean, let's look at game one for a second. I know plus minus is not indicative of everything. But clay was 6 of 14, 42% from the field, 3 of 7, which is 43% from 3, that's fine. But 42% from the field. And he was minus nine in a game where at one point they were winning by a ton. Now, he was on the, the court in the fourth, and then they took him out. So that's probably where a lot of the minus came from. But he was six of 14 in 38 minutes. He hit six field goals in 40 minutes. Now let's look ahead to 
um, to game two, his plus minus in a game which, by the way, he didn't play the fourth quarter. He played 30 minutes. He had a zero. He was a net neutral. Four of 19, awful numbers, one of eight. He didn't even play much in the fourth, and he still had a had a zero. Everybody else, every other player except for, well, I mean, anybody that got at least 15 minutes other than um, Otto Porter, or sorry, no, other than uh, Bielitsa, had a positive plus minus, at least a plus seven, if not more. Clay is the only one with 30 plus minutes or sorry, 15 plus minutes and to play 20 plus minutes and have a, a neutral plus minus, not at least a plus seven. So there's something to watch here with Clay. Now, there was it was brought up on the Bill Simmons podcast, like on the Sunday night pod that he does. Like, there's he thinks there's gonna come a moment where they're gonna bench him. And Ryan Rosillo is adamantly against it because there's moments where, like we've seen in closeout games, where he's just incredible and he goes bonkers and he can hit 35 points on seven threes and you know, whatever the case is. And so they're just adamant that like because of the equity he's put in and because of the moments he can have, that they're just not going to bench him. They won't do that. Like, they won't play Jordan Poole or they won't play, you know, whatever, uh, Gary Payton or whomever or Otto Porter Jr. over him in moments because they just are worried. They're not going to bench him because they're going to be worried. There's always, like, that opportunity cost, right? Like, if you take him out, you are foregoing maybe the zero plus minus, but you're foregoing—sorry, you're you're living—you're foregoing that, but you're also foregoing the opportunity that he just goes bonkers one quarter— and is incredible. So it's kind of that opportunity cost, right? I don't think there's going to be any any scenario where he gets benched and doesn't get heavy minutes, but there's something to watch here. We're like, Clay Thompson, this plus minus is very indicative of something that matters, whereas like everybody's going to point to Jason Tatum having a minus 36. Min- plus minus for superstars are always, when they're blown out, are always going to be horrible, but that's because they're the last player that gets yanked because they want to see if there's any chance the superstar can get hot and bring them back. So yes, Tatum was a minus 36 in 34 minutes, but that's because he got blown out and the superstar plus minus is always big. Don't look at that and think that Tatum isn't good for this series. The one thing we do want to look at, though, is his turnovers. Somebody tweeted the other day that his turnover numbers in a, in a playoff run are starting to get very, very high for, for superstars. And it's starting to run, like, I think he's at, like, 96. And, he ha- and you know, he's starting to run up pretty high on that for a guy who, you know, doesn't really necessarily have pa- pass all that much. Like, I don't know. I just think he's he's being very careless with the ball. So is Jalen Brown. Um, and so I, I just, something to, just something to look at. I think Tatum played a much better game one because he got everybody involved and he was more active and he was more distributive. He's... Just because he scored 28 points in game two does not mean he had a better game. Sure, he shot a little better. He was eight of 19, still not great. Six of nine from three, that's huge. But then, but he was two of 10 on two-pointers. So he was 20% from the field overall in two-pointers. He was six of nine from three. He had four turnovers and was a minus 36. I liked his game one better because he got everybody else involved and encouraged people to get open shots. So I want the Jason Tatum from game one. I mean, I want to combine both of them, obviously. Give me six of nine from three and give me 13 assists. If that's possible, they'll win the game by 20. But let's talk about some of the other role players that went bonkers in game one and didn't in game two. Al Horford played 28 minutes, was one of four from the field. Jalen Brown, 28 minutes, five of 17 from the field. 
Marcus Smart, one of six. Derek White went bonkers in game one. 30 minutes, four of 13 from the field. Minus 17, minus 12, minus 15 from all three of those guys, respectively. So, Peyton Pritchard, two of seven. They played Daniel Tice 15 minutes. So, Golden State didn't do anything different. I mean, Boston still shot 37 threes, and they actually hit 15 of them for 41%, which is way above their average. The problem was, is they shot 30% from the field total, which means they shot, so if they went, they went 15, oh my gosh, 15 of 43, which if we do some quick math, that's like 35 or 30% from the field of twos. 35% 35% on twos, but 40%, 41 almost on threes. That just can't happen. Golden State was 15 of 37 from three, so another 40.5%. They both actually were 15 of 37. So they both hit the exact same number of threes on the exact same number of attempts. The difference was um, Golden State was 24 of 49 from twos, which is almost 50%. So they shot better overall from the field. They shot better from two and shot the same from three. And they only had 12 turnovers while Boston had 18. Boston's got to take better care of the ball. Draymond Green guarding Jalen Brown is going to be a problem for Jalen Brown. But what they've got to do is they've got to look at that and go, okay, well, then that means that we're getting, you know, Clay Thompson on Al Horford. Or we're getting... You know, Steph Curry on Al Horford. Why are we not going inside to Al? He only had four shots. At halftime, they switched Jalen Brown or uh, Draymond onto Jalen Brown, and they should have given the ball to Al Horford on every time they switched. Boston's still doing the drop coverage stuff, which I don't understand. They're not really playing any sort of defense on the perimeter. I know Steph was only 9 of 21 and 5 of 12 from 3, but. Steph has this amazing ability that he hits when they're at home, he hits certain threes that just feel like they're worth like eight points. That three he hit, the two in the third quarter that basically put the daggers in the game, they felt like they were worth like 12 points apiece <laughs> because the crowd goes nuts. He kind of shimmies. They just seem like infinitely more backbreaking than they actually are. And if you're just going to continue to play drop coverage all the time, you're going to get burned. Listen, I think people are overreacting to the Jordan Poole getting going thing. He hit a couple threes. The one at the end of the half was just bonkers. He had another one um, right before that. That was crazy. But, like, he was still 6 of 14. It wasn't like he was incredibly great. You know, so I I think people are overreacting a little bit. I do think Gary Payton II is a big deal in this series. I think defensively he provides, him, provides something that Jordan Poole can't. But you can play Porter, Curry, Thompson, Draymond, Wiggins, or whatever you want to do. You can throw Porter in there if you want. I was looking at lineups. Um, I was looking at lineups the other day. I should have kept that because um, there was like a there was like a number that basically I think the lineup was like Porter, Gary Payton, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Maybe maybe Wiggins replaced. Clay, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but basically, like it was the highest net rating of all the lineups that played at least ten minutes in the finals. Um, and it may be something to think about 
going forward? Like, is there a better combination of lineup than just the, you know, we thought that the, the death lineup was Curry, Poole, Wiggins, um, Clay, and Draymond. But we're seeing with Clay struggling so much, maybe the death lineup is, you know, Curry, Peyton, Porter, Wiggins, Draymond. You know, like maybe it's a different combination that we, we, we haven't untapped yet, or maybe they've started to untap and they're just going to implement it more and more. But a high, a, a high net rating for only 10 minutes obviously isn't a big enough sample size, but Gary Payton just came back game two, and we already have at least 10 minutes of that lineup and a massive net rating. Um, So it might be worth, it might be worth looking at. I'm just saying. Um, let's preview game three though. Again, it's tied one, one game three back in Boston, Boston, like I said, only five and four at home. Um, looks like the line right now is three and a half for Boston. They're favored by three and a half. Um, some adjustments. I think they're going to, I think they're going to find some ways to get some new lineups for golden state. I think, like I said, Gary Payton's going to play a bigger role. I think Jordan Poole and Gary Payton are going to play some bigger roles. Maybe Otto Porter takes a step back for a little bit, or he plays more situationally. Um, I, I don't think clay is going to take a massive minutes drop, but he may see a little less minutes because they're going to start playing Porter and Poole a little bit more. Um, I don't think golden state changes a whole lot. I know, but Draymond is going to continue now to guard Jalen Brown because that worked a ton. But now you've got to see how does Golden State adjust when they start throwing the ball into the paint to the big guys now, to Al Horford, to Robert Williams. What you can do is then maybe you can get, you know, maybe Clay onto Al and force them to give the ball to Williams if it's Curry because Williams doesn't really have a whole lot of post moves. You know, maybe you put GP in there somewhere. I don't know. But Draymond is going to continue to guard Jalen Brown. And this game is continued. The games are going to continue to be physical. They're going to continue to let them play. And so you just got to be ready for that, whatever that looks like. Um, I I started the series thinking that the more physicality was going to favor Boston. I think overall it will. But the amount of the amount that they're letting Draymond get um, away with whatever he is, then that's clearly favoring Golden State because he's going to continue to push the line and push the envelope so often. Uh, Nick Wright said this on Twitter. He said, Draymond is always willing to take the one free throw tax, pay the price of the one free throw, and get the technical to know that he will never get another one the rest of the game and basically have free reign to do whatever he wants. Now, going on a podcast and saying that you get preferential treatment and can do whatever you want because of the first one, probably not the smartest move, Draymond. I probably wouldn't have done that. But nonetheless... It's the facts of the matter, if you watch the games, is that he pays that one free throw tax with the first technical to then be able to do whatever he wants for the rest of the game because he knows they're not going to kick him out. He brought that up. It may be different in game three, but I think Kerr is probably going to tell him, like, hey, don't change who you are, but, like, don't toe the line as much because of what you said. I think Draymond's also aware enough to know what he said and know not to do those things too. So Boston, though, adjustments for game three. Um, stop doing the drop coverage. <laughs> They're not going to stop, but stop doing it. Um, continue to exploit the matchups in the paint if they're going to go Draymond on Jalen Brown. Um, these role players like Derek White, um, you know, they've got to play better. They played Grant Williams 20 minutes. He was a minus 13 in those 20 minutes. I know that's not a whole lot, but Marcus Smart's got to be better. Basically, they all have to be better. Hopefully, playing at home, these role players shoot better, but they don't. Hopefully, don't feel as much pressure. Um, J- Jason Tatum, continue to pass the ball, continue to be aggressive, but be a, a distributor as well as a scorer. Your only value is not in being a scorer; it's being a playmaker. 
That means you can continue to get to the line. You can continue to distribute. Quit turning the ball over so much. And also don't think that your only value is in scoring. Jalen Brown, quit being this guy that is a black hole that the second you get the ball that it has to be a jumper. Continue to be a playmaker. Marcus Smart, just be better. I know you're hurt, but be better. Um, and hopefully playing at home and you ratchet up the physicality and the defense a little bit and you switch some more, this will go better for you. That would be my adjustments. And those are very basic, but I think it starts with the drop coverage becoming more switching, and I think it becomes exploiting those matchups that you're going to get offensively when Golden State decides to put Draymond on Jalen and you get those smaller guys in the post. All right, let's um, let's talk best bets and stuff um, gambling here. So, it, like I said, it's a it's a three and a half point line for Boston right now. They are favored. Um, if you look at some of the trends here with that game, um, there is heavy money on Golden State plus three and a half. A lot of fifty four percent of the bets and sixty six percent of the money are on Golden State. Um, if you go to the sharps, it looks like there's. Um, there's not really any, there's not really any sharp money going anywhere. It's very much, you know, a bunch of money kind of going all over the place. That's why the line hasn't moved any mu- at all that much. Looking at the total, um, massive amount of money on the under, just based on what happened in game two, um, sharp money also on the under 70% of the money's on the under 50% on the, um, on the bet percentage, a 20% difference, um, in terms of money versus bet percentage on the under, so obviously heavy on the under. Um, I'm going to take Golden State plus four. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on the money line. I do think Boston somehow finds a way to sneak this one out, but it would not shock me in the slightest if Golden State just goes bonkers at one point and wins this game. So that's why I'm going to sprinkle some on the money line um, for Boston, a small amount, or sorry, for Golden State, a small amount. I mean, right now, the money line is plus 128 for, for Golden State. You know, you could put 50 bucks on that, get about, I don't know, 80 back or so. Um, so it's worth, you know, it's worth a little bit of that for the money line. Um, but I'm going to definitely, I'm going to buy a half point and take the plus four. I think this is going to be another close game um, at home for Boston. And I think that even though if Golden State covers, or even if Boston wins slightly, I think they, you know, maybe win by two or three. Even if it's four, we push. So I'm going to take the plus four with Golden State, and I'm going to sprinkle some on the money line with Boston. I'm not going to touch the total. Um, I may do that in game, but nothing like nothing like that. Um, so some top props. Game two didn't have a whole lot of um, like edge in terms of what we saw, just because there wasn't a whole lot of sample size. But we got some sample size here from games one and two. I, I'm going to just continue to go to the well with Draymond on the over number on his assists that they keep putting out. Um, it's five and a half. I may just do at least five again. It's going to be heavy juice, but I just, again, the number they're thinking he's going to action network would have it at eight and a half and they have it at five and a half, a lot of places. So you're getting a three assist value better um, with, with this line. So I would take the Draymond green over assists. Um, I'm going to continue now because of the way that they got, um, Jordan Poole going, I'm going to continue to go back to again, um, go back to Jordan Poole over one and a half assists. Um, I, I love that number. I, I think I'm just going to continue that. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to do, um, I'm also going to go over one and a half on, um, 
Otto Porter, again, I'm just going to keep going back to that well. I think now I didn't like the amount of minutes, but basically what will happen is if one of pool, if pool is not playing well, or if pool or Peyton are not playing well, then Porter will, or Porter Jr. will be the obvious switch. And so maybe that's a, a live bet. If they play Porter, you know, 20 plus minutes, I think he's going to get at least, you know, two threes, but I'm back to the well, Jordan pool over one and a half threes. They may change that to over two and a half. Um, but if you can find over one and a half, go with that. Um, I think Clay Thompson shows out on the road, so I'm going to go over on his prop. I'm going to go over on his, um, points, rebounds, assists, his PRA. Um, I just think that he shows out on the road. So I'm going to go over 25 and a half points, rebounds, assists, and I'm going to go over, um, 18 and a half points for him. So those would be my bets. Again, just to rehash, um, I'm going to take by a half point, Golden State plus four, sprinkle on the money line for Golden State as well. I'm going to go over five and a half or at least five, depending on what your book says for Draymond's assists, um, over one and a half or over two and a half, depending on what your book says for the threes for Jordan Poole. And then I'm going to go over on the points, rebounds, assists for Clay, which is 25 and a half, and then over points, which is 18 and a half for Clay on the road. So those are my bets. Um, Hopefully game three is a, is a good game. We've had two kind of blowouts in the fourth quarter, so hopefully game three is a closer game, 9 p.m. tonight on ABC. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk all things storylines for the NBA. All right, welcome back. Um, on the other side of the podcast, we're going to talk all things NBA storylines here. If you missed the first part of the podcast, go back and check that out. Talk all things game two and preview for game three and some bets as well. But let's talk about some headlines that have made its way through the media stream here regarding the NBA. So first, let's talk Lakers. So I haven't I haven't brought it up on other podcasts because I've wanted to I've wanted to focus on um, I've wanted to focus on the the NBA Finals and those games one and game two. Um, so let's if you didn't know, um, Darvin Ham hired as Lakers head coach. Um, sounds like he's also putting together his new staff. It sounds like so far. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people on that staff. I'm drawing a blank. Um, well, he he's bringing on Rashid Wallace. It also seems like he is relieving John Lucas, relieving some of these other guys um, from their, from their duties. So people like um, Dave Fisdale, Mike Pen- Penberthy, John Lucas III, all relieved of their duties. Um, but he's keeping, sounds like he's keeping Phil handy. He's bringing on Rashid Wallace, and I'm sure he's going to bring on other people as well. He's probably going to extend some offers as well. Um, so what do I think of the hire? I, I think it was the best hire. I was pushing for him to, to be the the head coach and for them to hire him and not hire one of the kind of older heads, um, you know, the Doc Rivers, the the Terry Stotts. I think Kenny Atkinson would have been great, but we've seen that Kenny Atkinson didn't work with superstars and that he worked with young guys. And you have obviously two superstars, three with Russ, who's a big personality, not a superstar, but a big personality. Um, however, I do think they should trade him, which we can talk about in a second. Um so that's the first thing was I love the hire. I think it was the best one. I think he's really respected as a player, as a coach. The players will love him because he played. That's kind of the new the new move in the NBA now. Um and so I think that's I think that's a great hire. He is he He's only going to be able to do so much, though. He's hamstrung by a bad front office. He's hamstrung by the Russ contract and Russ the player. Um, he went on a freaking 
little media tour the other day and talked about how he thinks Russ is going to get back to championship-level defense. First off, it's never been a thing. Um, he's never played championship-level defense. Two, um, said he's going to be an elite defender. He's never been an elite defender. And three, we're talking about a guy that's going to be in his 15th season and we're trying to revert him to something he's never been. That's impossible. You can't make somebody be something they've never been and say revert to it because he's never been it. You're trying to force a guy that after 15 years you want him to be something that is that he's never been and that's impossible. It's just not going to happen. So they need to trade him. But it sounds like everything is pointing towards he's going to be on the roster and he's going to be a part of the team next year, which I think is a massive problem. So that's start one is Darvin Ham signed up for a job that he already may just be outside failing because he has a guy that he can't that he that shouldn't be on the team and can't play anymore. So that's one. Two, um, he's got work to do with the roster outside of Russ. He has a bunch of old guys. He needs to trade. They need to all just be off the cap, and they need to get a bunch of young role players. They need to make some trades for Russ and for other things. And this roster needs to be completely retooled. So, I don't know. I I just I think there's. I think he signed up for for a job that's super tough. I think he's part of a part of an organization that right now is really really bad. And yes, you have LeBron, and yes, you have AD, but like it's still really bad. I know they won a title a couple years ago. I'm not saying that that title doesn't matter. I'm saying that the organization is bad, and they won in spite of that. Yes, it was a bubble, and yes, maybe that it contributed to a lot of it, but it happened, and they won. I saw a stat yesterday with Frank Vogel. They were the number three defense in the first season with LeBron. They were the number the number one defense the year they won the title, and then last year, they were the 27th ranked defense in the league. And what, what happened? Oh, they added Russ. They added a bunch of old guys. Old guys don't play defense on the perimeter, and Russ is a horrible defender now. He just, he just roams. He's a makeshift defender. So they got a lot of things to worry about. Um, let's talk Russ trades, though, because I think that's the first thing they need to do is trade Russ. I don't have a whole lot of I need I'll probably need to cover it more on an, another episode maybe the next one once I do more trade machine stuff. Basically it sounds like it's either a one team trade with like a team like Indiana. Indiana or Charlotte or something where they're they're okay to take on a bad contract for a year to get people in the seats and okay to take the draft picks down the road. There's been rumors that LA is not going to include a draft pick because they think that Russ is so great. Newsflash, nobody thinks Russ is great. Everybody watched your team. They're not going to they're not going to take him and no draft picks. You have to attach a first if not two. Uh Indiana's a chance, Charlotte's a chance. I think that then there's other ways that you can get three teams involved, whether it be, you know, uh the Nets to get three teams involved, get Kyrie out to LA and then Take a bunch of draft picks if you're Brooklyn and then maybe get some people from a third team, maybe a Brogdon or something like that from Indiana. Um, so Broussard has brought this up on First Things First, and I think it's an option if you have to. But the other option is if after a month into the season it's just not working and you're really struggling, you just cut bait and you cut them. And whether that's the best way to go or not, if he... If you have LeBron on your team in your 20th season, you do not waste that by just rolling the dice back with a team that was terrible last year because of Westbrook and you do it again. You got to cut bait at some point. So if you can't get a trade, which is becoming increasingly unlikely that could happen, or at least it sounds that way, 
then you need to cut bait at some point. So I think it's an option. I, I wouldn't take that option, but I think it can be an option if it gets to that point. And last, um, we'll talk We'll talk Duncan Robinson really quick, and then we'll talk the shortened season. So Duncan Robinson drops an episode on his podcast today, um, or yesterday, one of the days, and basically went through kind of talking about you know, how he didn't play. He went from game one to having 25 points or 27 points, 21, whatever it was, some number, and then going into the next game and not playing and having like six minutes and then basically being a couple DNPs and less of blowouts. And here's my easy, very simple assessment. If you are a tall wing and you have not developed your game to be more versatile and you're a horrible defender, you are not going to play, especially in the playoffs, but you're definitely not going to play much anymore. Duncan Robinson is a one-trick pony, and he's an incredible at that one trick. The problem is, is when you're only a one-trick pony, and you go cold, and you can't do that one trick from game to game and do it consistently, and you have no other one-two punch, you don't have that second counter punch, you can't dribble, you can't finish at the rim, you're not really great at passing the ball off of a pick-and-roll or a dribble handoff. I mean, you can do it, but you're not great. You can't defend, you can't really pass the ball or rebound, you are a one-trick pony for sure. You are very invaluable to NBA teams. You have no value. So him basically kind of sulking on his podcast. He didn't sulk, sorry, he, but it sounded like he was sulking. But he basically called a spade a spade. He said, I need to be, I need to be a better defender. I need to get more, get bigger and stronger, which I think he's starting to do. But again, there needs to be more work done. Maybe part of that is on Miami and only thinking that he can only be a spot-up shooter. Maybe they need to give him more opportunity to dribble the ball, do dribble handoffs where he comes around the corner and maybe hits a guy in the corner or something like that. But the times he got in the game, it was a deer in headlights unless he was making shots. There was a couple times where I saw him drive to the rim, he was wide open for a layup, and he just passed the ball to the corner because he was afraid. So my simple assessment is if you only have a one-punch and your one punch isn't good enough, and it's not consistent enough, and you're not hitting shots, you don't have another punch, and you're not going to play. You're going to get traded to somebody who thinks that they can can make you better, but he's not going to be on the team next year, I don't think. I think his time in I think his time in Miami is very limited. I think his time in the NBA might be very limited. I'm not saying he can't be a bench guy and play 18 minutes a night, but his days as a starter are very close to being done. And I know that might be hyperbolic, but when it when have we seen a guy that plays 35 minutes a night during the regular season, like, I mean, as a guard, not as a big, because sometimes bigs don't play as much because of the small ball. But Duncan Robinson is a two, and he's a, and he's a dead eye when he's on. When have we seen a guy of that stature and that position play 35 minutes a night for a team that that is in the NBA, at one point in the NBA Finals, which I'm not going to get into, I think that they need to kind of come to come to terms with that wasn't the reality of their team. And then in the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and he doesn't play at all. And he's a garbage time guy. Hasn't happened very often. So I think we need to, to take a serious look at him not being a starter anymore, especially for Miami, but just in general. And he may be traded, and it may be sooner rather than later. I mean, Pat Riley came out and said he has to get bigger and physical and get better at, at everything. When, you're, when your president and your GM says that about you, when he says about Kyle Lowry that he needs to not be fat and get in shape, 
Pat Riley's been here before. He's done it all. He's not afraid. To, he's not going to mince words. He's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. When he tells you that you need to get better at everything and you're making X amount of dollars a year, 25 a year, you may be traded, my friend. So don't know what that looks like, but it's a possibility he could get traded for sure. Um, finally, let's talk the shortened season talk. So a couple things came out a few days ago um, that, you know, uh, Adam Silver usually does his little, he does a media tour around this time when the finals is going on. Um, and basically was, was talking about, you know, how there's been talk about, you know, shortening the season. Um, and Ryan Rosillo did a really, really good soliloquy on this on his podcast the other day. It might've actually dropped yesterday. Um, but he basically said, Shortening the season is already happening. It's just not happening with numbers on the schedule. It's happening with superstars not playing. He started back in from 10 years ago, five years ago, and now. 10 years ago, and basically he said, all you really need to do is look at the superstars because the superstars are the ones that will tell you what the, what's indicative of the league. He said, so basically all you need to do is look at superstars and look at the minutes they play and the games that they missed and then you know, average it out for the number of players and then figure out how many games they're missing. And that'll tell you how short these seasons are and how many games they're missing. Because again, six-man, seven-man bench guys, doesn't matter if they miss, but the superstars that are missing, that's the one that we need to look at. So 10 years ago, the top 20 scorers, superstars, because those guys, again, the top scorers are the superstars and usually those are the ones that are taking the taking the rest days. 10 years ago, top 20 top twenty to 25 scorers in the league missed a combined 150-plus games. You average that out. It's about six games a year that they're not playing. Five years ago, around the same. About seven games a year they're not playing. This year alone, the top 20 scorers, maybe it was 25, scorers missed a combined 560-plus games, which averages out to about 21, 22 missed games a year. So players are already shortening their own season. So why not continue with the route we're going? Teams make the money. People make the money. And the superstars are already missing games. The season's already shortened. Listen, I understand that people are getting hurt. And I understand that the seasons are long. And then they're playing the Olympics. And they're, now we're going to do this in-season tournament and all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. But people are already scheduling so many games out. And they're already missing a ton of games. Whether it be for injury or whether it just be for resting. Back-to-backs, four and five nights, things like that. The season's already shortened. So I don't know if, if, if actually shortening the season down to 70 or 72 or whatever, 65, which is already happening. In an 82-game season, the average, the superstars, the top 20 scorers in the league, miss an average of 22 games. That takes it from 62 already down to, or 82 down to 60. So it's already happening. It's just happening inorganically. Or sorry, it's happening organically, not inorganically. The the league might want it to happen inorganically and just make it so it's only sixty five time or sixty five games a year. But there's too much money in that. There's too much money in the in the RSNs in the revenue that gets from the TV deals that they have to play eighty. You know, they have to show eighty two games, or at least I think seventy at least. So, the season's already being shortened by superstars. They're already not playing. 
Maybe you make it mandatory that if you're on a Thursday or Saturday night Saturday night game that you play or the or the national televised games that you play. I don't know what you do, but we're already shortening the season, you know, just in the flow of the season for superstars taking days off and getting hurt. I don't think the injury thing is going to change though. Like injuries are happening all the time regardless. So I don't care what happens. I'm still going to watch the NBA regardless of whether you shorten it or whether you keep it the same. But like, let's not kid ourselves. The season's already being shortened, just happening outside of the realm of the schedule number being less. And I thought it was interesting that Ryan Rosillo did that. Um, I don't know where I really stand. Like I said, I don't really care. I'm pro player. So if the players vote on a shortened season, then like I'm pro that. Um, but I'm also pro watching more basketball. So I don't want the season to be shortened. Um, but let's not kid ourselves here. These superstars are taking a bunch of games off anyway. Season's already shortened. It's just not in the number. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of In the Paint. Again, please like, subscribe, rate, review, download the podcast, all platforms, streaming podcasts. You can find it. Um, hopefully, Game 3 is a good one tonight. Um, catch, us, uh, catch us next week, at least, if not after Game 3 before Game 4, which is happening Friday. I'll be on vacation, so I probably won't be able to do one until next week, so maybe we'll be recapping two games, and maybe we'll have a, a, a really good series, a tied one, or maybe the series will almost be over by that time. Um, that's going to do it. Catch you next time. All right, fam. Peace.